Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Two of the most recognizable passages of Scripture were written thousands of years apart, and yet they sound very similar. The first begins, in the beginning, God. We all recognize that. In the beginning, God. And then, in the beginning was the Word. The first passage, of course, are the first four words of the book of Genesis, the first four words of the entire Scripture. The second passage are the first six words of the Gospel of John, which we here recognize uh, as we hear them at the end of every Mass in John's prologue from John 1. It doesn't matter how far one advances. We never get past origins. We never get past origins. It's not that we go back and revisit origins. They're always there. They come with us. We don't have to go back and revisit them. They go with us wherever we go. Now some are more conscious of their origins than others. But our origins never leave us. They're always with us. The beloved John, the beloved apostle, disciple John, like Moses had before him in his book of Genesis, John in his gospel weightily begins with primordial origins. And then after a very short paragraph, speaking of these origins, in verse 6, he leaps over all of history to a man of his own time, a man he knew, a man of enormous importance in the economy of God. And so after he begins with these primordial origins of everything, in verse 6 he then says, a man came. A man came, sent from God, whose name was John. A man came, sent from God, whose name was John. In the beginning was the Word. So he begins and then he shifts so quickly to a man came, sent from God, whose name was John. John. John was a man sent from God. He was sent from God. Now we know about John. We know that his conception was miraculous. And next to our blessed mother and the Savior, of course, John's nativity is the only other nativity feast we celebrate in the church calendar. That says something to us. He was slightly older than Jesus. He was of the priestly caste, class rather, They met one another while still in their mother's wombs in that beautiful feast of the visitation. And John leapt for joy in the presence of his Savior. We also read that John was filled with the Holy Ghost 
while still in his mother's womb. That is a remarkable thing. Later, he went out into the wilderness, and he became a great ascetic. And he went out there to be with God, to meet with God, to wait upon God. And he knew God in the wilderness, John did. He knew him intimately. We don't have much record of it. It's intimated at. He does reference one important thing. But God spoke to him out there in the desert and in the wilderness. God told him things, just like God had told the prophets of old things. But John was greater than all the prophets of old. In fact, as Jesus says, there had been no one born of woman who was greater. While John was out there in the wilderness, in the presence of God, God told him, spoke to him, and told him. He said that the anointed one is coming, John. The anointed one, the promised one, is coming. John twice in public confessed that he did not know Jesus was the one. He did not recognize him. He says it twice, right in in John's first chapter, actually. But he does say, he says that the one who sent me out here, out of the desert, who brought me into this public place, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, he says, he told me. That's how I know John was out in the wilderness talking to God. And God was speaking to him. God was telling him things. Just like he told the all prophets. That's what John was doing out there. He wasn't just, you know, trying to find the best recipe for his locusts. He was listening to God. He was intimate with God. And God told him. He says, the one who sent me told me that I would know who it is because the spirit would come like a dove and descend and remain on the one. And that's how I would know. And he says, I didn't recognize Jesus. Twice he says, I did not know it was him. I did not know it was him. I did not know him and I did not recognize him. I did not recognize him. But at the baptism, when John baptizes Jesus, John hears the familiar voice that he had heard in the desert. And he sees the Holy Spirit like a dove coming down and remaining on Jesus. And he knows then, this is the one. Now, how John recognized Jesus while he's in the womb and does not recognize him at this point after they're grown is a mystery. It is a mystery. It is a mystery not unlike the mystery we spoke of last week when he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? Just before he was beheaded. I think these mysteries are tied together. I also think that this mystery can be gently and partially unpacked. But that's not my theme for today. Um, And so it's going to have to wait for another time. I just simply want to point it out because if it had occurred to you and seemed strange that he could recognize Jesus while in the womb and yet not recognize Jesus after all this time and meeting with God in the desert and reaching such a state of uh, angelic life, and he could not recognize his own cousin at this point, which he confesses twice, I did not know it was him. I did not know it was him. If you think that's strange, I just wanted to uh, encourage you that you are correct. It is strange. (laughs) And I think there's something important to this. But I can't talk about that today because that's not what I'm focusing on. 
back to the gospel, to John's gospel, the apostles' gospel about this man, John. This man sent by God, John. His name is John, and he was sent, the scriptures tell us, as a witness. He was sent in order to testify. Now, as important as we know John is, I've just given you a few little hints of his importance. I mean, there's many, many more. I mean, Jesus, the, the, the people thought that Jesus was so spectacular that he might even be John the Baptist. That's how spectacularly they thought Jesus was. <laughs> this, is, this is the impression that John made on the earth. The Apostle John feels it necessary to inform us that he is not the light. Like, we need to know that. They needed to know that because some people might get confused and think John the Baptist was the light. He's that impressive. Anyway, there's much more about him. But he was sent to testify, to be a witness. I mean, a lot of people are sent to testify. Why is he so special? I mean, you're all sent to testify. We're all sent to be martyrs and witnesses. But John, John stands alone and unique. He's sent to testify about the light so that, the apostle says, everyone might believe through him, through John. Everyone might believe the light, Jesus Christ, through John, the Baptist, the forerunner, the friend of the bridegroom. And then, as I said, John feels like John... The forerunner is so important, the apostle says, he has, he has to add, oh, and by the way, he's not that light. The apostle's very profound prologue continues on, as we read at the end of Mass, and you'll hear shortly. And he brings the baptizer in again one more time in verse 15, saying, John, again, testified about him and shouted out, this one was the one about whom I said he comes after me is greater than I am because he existed before me. So the apostle brings John back in in verse 15. So clearly, John the forerunner figures prominently in the prologue in these first 18 verses of John's gospel which proclaim the eternal glory of the eternal word. But that's not all. It doesn't end there. Because our apostle has not had enough of John. <laughs> he has not said enough about John. Even though he's put him in the most prominent location you could possibly imagine. But he's not finished. Because in verse 19, the very next verse, after he's done with the prologue about the eternal word and the importance of John's place in testifying of the eternal word, he takes up John's ministry in particular. And he says... Right at the end of the prologue, verse 19. Now, and this is from our reading today. Now, this was John's testimony. So now I'm going to tell you even more about John, particularly about John. Now he begins this. What I'm about to tell you, this was John's testimony. John came to testify, and here is his testimony. Perhaps we should think of John to Jesus in a similar way as we think of Mary to Jesus. No Mary, no man. I know that's a shocking thing to some people. We're going to explain it today. You have to come to a Marian feast and maybe you'll hear more about it. But no Mary, no man, Jesus. No John, no gospel. 
We know that God's plan from before the worlds were made was to become man in the womb of this particular woman who he would create and prepare. That is not to ignore her cooperation and fiat. Likewise, though, the forerunner, whose nativity we celebrate, which fact should indicate something similar about him to that of Mary, was also planned by God to prepare the way for the Savior to bring repentance, redemption, and the kingdom of God. So just another little aside about the importance of John in the economy of God. Think of him in his relationship to Christ in a very similar vein as you think of Mary's relationship to Christ. So back to the text. Now this was John's testimony. And the apostle goes on to describe in chapter 1 of his gospel, John's testimony. And as he does, we see that John's testimony unfolds over three consecutive days. There's three days and three parts to his testimony about Christ. Day one, part one, essentially consists in this. John shouting, I am not. That's day one, part one. That's what John's message is. Very loud, very clear, very repetitive, actually. I am not. I am not, he says. I am not. Who are you? He confessed. He did not deny. He confessed. I'm reading now. I am not the Christ. Who are you? He did not deny. He confessed. He confessed. I am not the Christ. Who are you? They say again. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? Tell us. I'm a voice. I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Quick aside, look at the poetic interplay and the mystery of the relationship between John and Jesus. This is just giving you a little touch or hint of that other mystery we were alluding to. I can't resist just pointing this out very quickly. Uh, John is older than Jesus in the flesh. He comes before Jesus. John also is the voice which manifests the word. The word is made audible by the voice. John is that voice which makes the world capable of hearing the word who is Christ. Mm. And yet John testifies he is greater than me because he existed before me. So John goes on, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize who is coming after me. John comes first and then Christ, but he existed before me. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Again, day one, message one, I am not. There's a lot behind John's comment about not being worthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandal. Don't have time to go into it this morning, but we'll simply point out that it has to do with his continual denial of himself before the Savior and his spotlighting of Jesus Christ. That's what's behind that. So that's day one, part one, I am not. Day two, part two, verse 29. On the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. That's day two. Message two. He is the one. Behold, the Lamb of God. 
Day 3, part 3, verse 35. Again, the next day, this is day 3, again the next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples, one of which was Andrew, by the way. And he was gazing at Jesus. I love that. That's what we should all be doing on Saturday nights after Vespers, kneeling here and gazing at Jesus. He was gazing at Jesus as he, Jesus, walked by. And John cried out again, Look, the Lamb of God. Then what happened? The two disciples, one of which was Andrew, standing there, immediately when they heard this, they just left John. They just walked away. This is John the Baptist. Just walk away from John the Baptist? No discussion, no thought, no hesitation, nothing. They hear his voice and they leave him. Never to return. He will be beheaded in prison. They will not go back to him. They leave him and immediately follow Jesus. Day three, part three, John sends his disciples away to follow Jesus. That is the essence of John's life and testimony. The very purpose for which he was created and prepared from the beginning of time. It consists in these three steps to his testimony. I am not. He is the one. Follow him. That's it. It's all summed up in that. There is so much more to say about the testimony of John, but I think I've gone on long enough. And I want to just conclude by saying that we are taught in the scriptures and by all of the fathers that the ancient rebellion of that great angel was prompted by envy. Envy was at the source of his rebellion. Lucifer was envious of man's role in God's economy, and he was envious of God himself. And that was precisely the same temptation that he used to lure the woman and the man into disobedience. It was envy, it was mistrust of God, it was envy. God is trying to keep something good from you, something for himself. God is not interested in your best interests. He is protecting himself. You cannot trust him. You need to look out for yourself. You need to focus on yourself. If you don't, no one else will. You need to preserve yourself, your life. Protect yourself. Take what you can. Grab what you can while you can because it's all about you. It's all about you and your interests and your needs and your happiness. It's all about you. In fact, here's a kingdom for you too if you want it. Take it. Just take it. Take everything you can. Spend all your thoughts and all your time and all your money, everything, on yourself, on yourself. I mean, don't pay any attention to him. He's standing over there offering you a cross to climb up onto. John the Baptist, in his very person and ministry, embodies, truly embodies, better than anyone to have walked this earth other than our blessed mother, the essence of I am not, he is, follow him. You know, I love the stories about the idol-smashing saints. Because I kind of like, you know, a little rough-and-tumble Christianity. I don't know, some of you don't like that. I enjoy that. 
So I like those stories about the saints who go around smashing idols and pulling down pagan temples. Well, of all of them, none of them compare to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the greatest idol-smashing saint and man ever to walk the earth because he smashed the greatest idol of all, and that is idolatry of self. Idolatry of self, which is at the root of every sin. There is really only one sin. We all play this game about what was the sin in the garden? What was that original sin? Well, Father said it was envy today. That was the one, you know, when he got cast out of heaven. You know, the man, it was pride. Well, he ate the fruit. It was gluttony. Oh, as he tried to take it, it was greed. It was self All of these are the exact same sin. It's the idolatry of self. We need to fall in love with Christ. We need to be filled with Christ, with Jesus Christ, not with ourselves. That's why John is so great, because he exemplifies this next to our Blessed Mother. His absolute trust and love and humility before the one who is worthy of our worship and our allegiance his Savior and ours, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.